Welcome to the High Ground Podcast, and uh, we're back doing uh, part four of our Quentin Tarantino retrospective. Yay! It's uh, we're going to classify because you know classifying with one film, uh, yeah. sort of, is Kill Bill volumes one and two. So, yeah. uh, volume one was released two thousand and three in October, with volume sorry volume one. Was released October two thousand and three, with volume two April two uh, with volume two April two thousand and four. Thoughts on the movie? Um, I I think this is quite common, but I think volume if we're doing a volume thing, volume one is um I think volume one's better, but I will say, and we just said this earlier, if you watch them back to back, as one film, it is it is much better. So much better. Yeah, I think the only thing that stopped it being a full film was the length, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I still count it as one film. I remember, yeah, I, I agree, it's, it's one film. Uh, I actually like the second, uh, the first, stylistically, I think the first part of volume one is, 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 is the better film. But I've got such yeah. a soft spot for the second part. I like the, the colour palettes, the more browns and the more western yeah. Like greys with um, yeah. Pyme, it's almost yeah. black and white, isn't it? Yeah, I, and I like the character of Pyme. He he he's brilliant, and yeah. But the first one is, is you know the action in it is superb. It's got some fantastic set pieces. So uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Like the um, House of Bloom, uh, Green Blue Leaves, is it? Yeah. The oh the the sword fighting that is, and just the the callback to Bruce Lee with the yellow outfit. And, Game of Death, if I'm yeah. right. Yeah, it was, yeah. It's ironically the pursuit everyone remembers, but it's from the worst film. Yeah. But, uh, okay, we'll get the technical stuff out of the way. Uh, I went on this for my IMDb. Uh, I'm assuming, because they were filmed back to back, so they're going for the individual films. So it, both were made for $30 million. Yeah. Uh, volume 1 grossed over $180 million. While Volume Two grossed 154, which I find kind of weird because you think people would have gone to see that saw Volume One would have gone straight to Volume Two. Yeah, I yeah, you think like the they want to see how it ends, wouldn't they? But I don't know. I maybe that was quite. I suppose that was a bit, quite a bit for 2003 and four for independent. They're still independent films, aren't yeah. they? Miramax, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird seeing when you watch it now with Weinstein's name. Oh, yeah, it's really weird. So, uh... It's like seeing a film with Kevin Spacey in, isn't it? Yeah. I was watching... I think it was Fanboys. It's produced by him as well. I was like, oh. All right. So when you see... It's kind of funny. These names at the time who were, like, big in big in cinema. Now you just look at it and go, oh, oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, uh... So, you know, it's... Volume... Uh, we'll just call it Kill Bill unless we're actually poking yeah. out uh, individual Specific. sequences. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, what's your what's your what is actually your opinion on it? Um, I I do actually quite like it. When it first came out, I, I was like, I you know, living and breathing Tarantino for the sort of where I discovered him, and uh, it was his fourth film, wasn't it? Fourth though? film. Yeah, yeah. So I think as director, sort of, it was always an event whenever one of his films comes out. You know, like it's always the fifth film by Quentin Tarantino or whatever. You know, um. Yeah, no, I, I didn't I didn't manage to see it at cinema because I was too young. So I saw it 
when it first came out on DVD, I think. And then I'm sure I got to see Volume 2. I don't know if I was old enough. 2004, 2004. So I would have been... 16, yeah. No, it was an 18. Yeah, 18. yeah, no, I wasn't old enough. Damn. <laughs> no, but I remember... Yeah, no, I, I really I loved it when it first came out. Then I went through a phase of not liking it so much. You know, when you do your sort of pompous Tarantino phase where you go, oh, nothing's better than Pulp Fiction and Robot Dogs. <laughs> I do. I, I I agree. It's a it's a departure, and yeah. you know when you when you watch, I've got you know uh, I've been a Tarantini in terms of his directorial work since since uh, in, since ninety three when I read Reservoir Dogs. So you got Reservoir Dogs, Pop Fiction, Jackie Brown. Then, then this was just a complete departure because uh, whereas whereas you wait, it's a departure visually. But when you look to the dialogue, I, mean, I noticed this when I was uh, listening to especially uh, The Bride. Yeah. She uh, is very, you can imagine some of the dialogue being from Pulp Fiction. As it's got the same kind of beats yeah. in the delivery, which, which, which is I think, fantastic. But this is, but in terms of visuals, it is completely different. It's like uh, Tarantino's trying to trying something different and he's, he's succeeded. And yeah. it's, it's just, it's just Pure. I mean, like I said, I'm, it's not one of my favourites by a long shot. I mean, it, it gets lost. That and Inglorious Bastards, it, the, you know, probably my least two watched. So, but to actually, uh, we switched off all the lights. We 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 we, we put on a projector and we had it playing on the wall back to back. So watching it like that, it's just you oh, really jealous. appreciate it. Thank you. When, when, when this lockdown's over, we will be doing it, and we'll probably do a commentary track on one of his films oh, after we've done yeah. these. I think, yeah, like you say, the, the colour palette is really striking, and I think it's his sort of sort of his uh, his sort of go at doing a sort of more comic booky sort of film, wasn't it? Yeah. Or like a, a, a pastiche of all the seventies kung fu stuff, and because I mean, there's even an anime sequence in it, isn't there? Yeah, I completely forgot about that, and I'm, I don't. I did as well. Yeah, is I, it's just it. You know, uh, they did it when they direct us in the uh, the extended cut of Watchmen, but yeah. it works so much. I mean, to go wrong, the extended cut of Watchmen with with the, the black rate is brilliant, but way that they just blended it into Kill Bill, yeah, that is, it, it's it's superb. It really is, and it's like a flashback, isn't yeah. it? And I I really. I love that whole sequence where it leads up to it, how she's uh, a half American, half Chinese, half Japanese, and the bit where she decapitates the guy. I was yeah. like, yeah, do not ever bring that up. Do not bring it. That's the only thing that's off subject. And it's that, the calmness in her voice as she's doing it. I mean, superb. Absolutely superb. But... Uh, One thing he always has is, is an eye for great actors, isn't it? Like, oh, yeah. Even actors I wouldn't necessarily normally like, like Lucy Liu and Daryl Hannah, like they're fantastic in it because they just embody the characters they're supposed to see. I mean, I, L Drive is probably my favourite character in in the film, or both volumes, whatever. Um, I just think she's she's so she's funny and she's like really hard, and I I think she's a really good sort of foil for the bride. I was a bit, that's the only bit I was a bit disappointed with that fight scene in the second one because it was sort of over too quickly. Yeah. You know, where she sort of just plucks her eye out. That is I, gross. Some grand fight and... 
oh, that was when I was watching it, I was like, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you watch it, that is just... But she's, I mean, I remember Laurel Hannah from, uh, from Blade Runner. Yeah. And to see her, and, you know, because she's, years have passed since Blade Runner. But like, Chris, doesn't she? Yeah. And she's just, but, you know, it's, uh, she, 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 she still got it, she does. Yeah, I, I remember from Splash as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I haven't seen that in a long time. It's one I really should get hold of because it's Ron Howard, and I do like Ron Howard. But I mean, the casting is superb. I mean, you look at uh, yeah. in volume, you look at in volume two, Rufus, the, who, the, who plays yeah. piano, Samuel L. Jackson. I'm like, wow. But I, I think mean, no one says dialogue, even if in minimalist dialogue, like, like uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, so, true. And you do get to fight the um, field space as well, don't you? Yeah. And I like the way that they just introduce, you know, uh, you know, you don't find out uh, Uma Thurman's character's name right until the second film, because all throughout the first, they're uh, they're, they're bleeping it out. It's a great bit of cinema. And that was another thing that disappointed me about Born Two. I always. I never wanted to know what her name was. She was just the bride to me all the time. Yeah. But I, I know you're trying to talk to her, like the fact that she's not the bride anymore. That she's found the daughter. She is a like she's a person that she was before. Yeah. But it, they, he waits the last moment. Uh, it's like drawing. I think it draws the attention. You are actually watching a film. Which, yeah. Which is what I think he does. That's why the the whole thing is like that. Another uh, thing you know is how. And it's one thing I like how you know you, you got uh, some of the quote Tarantino lot in the film. You got Uma Thurman from Pop Fiction. Yeah. You got Michael Madsen from Reservoir Dogs, which I think is brilliant having him back. It was yeah. uh, Michael Parks uh, yeah. as Earl McGraw from Dustal as from Dustal Dawn, and Michael Bowen, who's in uh, Jackie Brown. He plays Buck, all right. and we all know what Buck likes to do. And I, I just like I think that's absolutely. Uh, I thought it was brilliant. I, I did. Jackie Brown, yeah. Yeah. I, I was like, I, I recognise him. I was like, oh, yeah. It's... I don't know what else I know. The cinematographer on uh, one on uh, Kill Bill, uh, Robert Richardson. He also did Inglorious oh, yeah. Bastards, Django Unchained, Hateful Eight, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. All right, so collaborator then. Yeah, so it's. I, I just don't like because I mean I think photography on you know if you look at the wall, I just yeah it's superb and that's the one where you start the collaborating with him so it's, yeah and once upon a Hollywood time in Hollywood is like obviously Tarantino at its best even hateful eight if you look at the color palette on there but that's yeah. just going to be going off a bit so uh, I think all his films have like color palette specifically don't they yeah like the, you can recognize each one because of how they look. Definitely. And this one more so than the others, I think, especially because it's it's the the, the colours are dialed up, the blood's dialed up, you know, the excessiveness is dialed up. But you are watching a 70s style movie. Yeah. And the bit where he's really decapitates and everything, uh, especially uh, with uh, uh, Lucy Liu. Yeah. I, I like, you know, uh, Owen Ishii, well, she's doing it, and that just bit the head, and it, literally the blood all when uh, like uh, an old sort of Japanese. I mean, one of the films that Tarantino basically 
Kill Bill on was a film called Lady Snowblood in the 70s. Uh, it's like a Japanese sort of, it's the same sort of thing. It's like a rape, rape revenge thing where she goes after these people that killed her husband and tried to rape her and stuff. But she's a, obviously a samurai sword in that and the blood is like geysers, you know, like the old samurai sort of movies. But um, some of the soundtrack is from that film as well. The, oh, nice. the, the song when she kills uh, Ren at the end. When she scalps her, that's yeah. that's from that. Ah, that's good. It's good that bit. That whole the you sequence is superb. It's like you pointed yeah, out. It's like, yeah, it's like you pointed out. Uh, is you know about the sword play. Yeah. One thing that I noticed, because uh, I I recently watched Highlander, and, and you know we've watched Star Wars uh, a bit, quite a bit. Ones that. Uh, you know when they're uh, yeah, it's like when most times when you get your your swords out, yeah, you, you have a lot of bit of showboating first. No yeah, one literally yeah. gets their sword out and just, just goes straight to work. They always do like a little move or something, or there's a big battle. Yeah. But uh, with the bride, there's no sh- there's no showboating. Every action she makes is deliberate. It's yeah. There's nothing. She's supposed to be like a great sword, uh, sword person, and you know when you get films with assassins or someone like, oh, he's there with the greatest sword person or something great with a weapon. There's always showboating, and it takes more while to do the job. Uh, yeah. With the bride. James Bond does it. Pardon? James Bond does it, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, but now it's with the bride. It's deliberate. There's no, there's no glamour to it. It's she takes out the legs. She takes out the arms. It's very minimalistic in her moves. And yeah. I was just, I was watching. I was like, that is superb because uh, there's a bit where you know she's fighting and there's like in that room with the blue silhouettes, uh, blue yeah, black yeah. and the everything. That reminded me of the end of Highlander, Kurgan versus yeah. the Cloud. I never thought about that until you said that. But that, I love that shot because it's like a sort of it's just you're not seeing everything. You're just seeing it behind the screen, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I, it does remind me. Yeah, the end fight, isn't it? On yeah, the one just yeah, before yeah. He, he decapitates the Kurgan. And yeah. what got me was during that shot, there's a lot of wow, look at us, we're fighting with swords. This is deliberate bang, 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 bang. And it goes back to, you know, he, he, like I said, I hate to bring this one up John Wick, where he's supposed to be like the great assassin or whatever he is, hitman. And yet he. Yeah. He, at times I'm thinking, my God, how do you do it without any help? But the bride, you believe that she is an assassin because here's a sword, here's her, is it a sword or is it a katana? Uh, yes, it's, it's a type of sword, yeah. yeah. They, call, they call them katanas. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to be pulled up, you see, by here of our listeners. No, no, it's, it's a sword to sword. Yeah, and, and I like, I just, I just thought it was just so, Superb. She's taking on all these people, but every action is, is just yeah. I, and it just it just what was that spot on and the music and everything in the scene. This well, it's, it's it's like her to get the target she's after is in that scene. Oren. Yeah. So these people are just in the way of yeah. what she wants to get to. And and the same with um when she talks to I can't remember her name, but um Vivica Fox's character at the beginning. And um and the kid walks in, you know, she does sort of stop, but she is definitely still to kill this woman because yeah. Manita Green. That's the 
Yeah, she, agreement. Yeah, she's. But the bride is willing to do it how it should be done without her daughter, without uh, Vanita, Green, Vanita Green's daughter around. But she she makes a mistake and is killed a bit early. But yeah, uh, yeah there's no. Yeah. But. Uh, that was supposed to be like the, the plot for the, for the sequel, wasn't it? That her daughter was going to be looking for revenge against the bride. Yeah. But I don't know if it ever got sort of... I think even Tarantino said that... I don't know if he said he would ever do a sequel to any of his films, but... There is... Uh, I mean, where I was looking the other day, and there is a... There is a on the if you go, I think it's like if you go on Tarantino on IMDb I mean I, I mean, it means nothing being on there until it's all confirmed, but it's apparently allegedly being announced Kill Bill Volume Three, but I've not heard anything of it so I mean I would like no because then it will take up the one of the number slots and <laughs> we're going we're down for the last two depending on how you count this yeah I don't the last one. I don't really, I don't really think if they do a volume three, we can count it as a Tarantino movie, because no. I'd well, I, I'd want him to direct it because anybody else wouldn't be able to do the same job. But well, I was going to say he probably wouldn't, would he? He'd probably write it, and someone else would do it. But yeah, that wouldn't be the same. And like, although it is the only Tarantino film that you could probably do a sequel to that 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 would suit a sequel. I mean, all the others seem a sort of wham bam and done, aren't they? Yeah. Like they're there's singular stories, whereas I think Kill Bill does lend itself to sequelization because it, it is it's like one of those like we said the seventies sort of kung fu movies and they yeah. always had loads of sequels didn't they and I, th I think it would fit a sequel but I don't want one no. that's what I'm trying to say because other than uh, Vanity Green's daughter you've only got uh, Ellie Drivers because uh, uh, yeah. she's she's blinded but uh, yeah. I didn't. I suppose you. I suppose you could. I was going to say you could bring Bill back, but David Carradine's not alive anymore. Is no, he? plus he did. He did walk away after the five uh, finger. And that yeah. was good. That was that was good. The way that uh, that uh, Pai Mei. Pai Mei is. Oh, I love Pai Mei. I think he's brilliant. Pai Mei is the role. I think. Uh, I don't, if if anyone doesn't know, um, Tarantino always wanted Bruce Lee for this film. Yeah. If he was alive. And uh, I'm pretty sure Pai Mei would have been the role he would have played. Or Bill, maybe, I don't know. I think uh, David Carradine is, he's, he is, he's Bill. I mean, I can never imagine anybody else playing him but Pai, but, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, Pai Mei, definitely, definitely. But the whole Pai Mei thing is sort of playing on the TV series he was in years ago, Kung Fu, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, a little, I was going to say. Yeah, well, you said about Bruce Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what do you think? I mean, I know uh, Shannon Lee and the Bruce Lee estate aren't happy with the way that Bruce was portrayed in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. What do you think? I I thought it was and I thought it was fantastic actually. I mean, I've never seen the guy that played him is I mean, spot on. Like, I, it was like it was spooky almost. Like it was like watching him like back again. And I think if Bruce was alive, he wouldn't have been too bothered about it either. I think he would have laughed. I think he'd have saw the funny side. I mean, I, I, I yeah, because he always I... seemed like a guy that had like a sense of humor. I mean, his characters in all his films have sense of humor, yeah. don't they? 
mean, the argument is that uh, Bruce uh, is, is parodying Bruce and that they don't want people to think. If you go to see a Tarantino movie, you know what Bruce, and you would know what Bruce Lee was really like. And this is a caricature yeah. of him. So I think the yeah. I agree with you. I think you'd have liked it. And you, the whole thing about because uh, that's one of my favorite scenes in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, uh, but yeah, yeah. I, but it, well, it's like saying in Inglorious Bastards, well, Hitler wasn't like that. Well, like you say, it's it's it's, it's the Tarantino verse where everyone is up for a sort of a a drilling, aren't they? Yeah. Like everyone, everyone can be caricatured. And it, yeah, if you, t- I think if you take it that seriously, then you've missed the point. Exactly. Every single one of his films acknowledges that. Not acknowledges, but he knows you're watching a film, a form of entertainment. Yeah, you look at Pulp Fiction, some of the characters are dead and you appear on scene the next scene. Yeah. It's playing with the the linear, the the non-linear timelines and stuff like that. That's something I always specifically think of as Tarantino-esque, even though there are like people that have done it before, you've got Goddard and Antonioni and stuff like that. But yeah, it. I think he sort of creates his own universe, doesn't he? Yeah. So it's not Bruce Lee Bruce. It's not Bruce Bruce, but it's, you know, like, it's the version of Bruce Lee. Yeah. Well, you said about the whole non-linear thing. I mean, you actually, is it this, yeah, I should have wrote these down. The, the, the second kill is actually the first kill. The kills out of order in Kill oh, Bill. What, in Kill Bill? Yeah. Yeah, because she's got the pussy wagon, hasn't she? Yeah. Which she doesn't get till later. Yeah, and but you don't. But even though, and this is the same with Tarantino, because even since Pulp Fiction, you you, you accept that he doesn't do a linear narrative, and I, I think yeah. that's, uh, that's that's brilliant. As a rule, he doesn't do a linear narrative. That's just you know. I think one that's got like a sort of a proper linear narrative is. I don't know. I if there was one, I would think is it maybe Jackie Brown. That's quite start to finish, isn't it? Yeah. Hateful Eight is... It, I think it's because it's an adaptation of... Yeah. Hateful Eight and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah. actually follows the direct timeline. And I even know Hateful Eight even goes back and forth with flashbacks. Yeah, about the black dingling thing. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I, Hateful Eight, I, I love that film. That is one which we will have to... Well, uh, we're gonna we'll, we'll be mining Tarantino for a long while. Trust me. Oh yeah, I mean we still. Well, we're doing this as much film, so yeah. We've then, got four more. Yeah, then we've then we'll be we've got the commentary tracks and the breakdowns and uh, uh a little thing I I only because I go up through uh, IMDb when I, when I watch the film and cause sometimes I'm curious about what ha- what ever happened to such and such, yeah. Yeah, now, I've got a nice little bit of trivia for you. Now, okay. okay. You know, Bibi, the daughter, Bill and uh, the Bride's daughter, yeah? Played by Perla Hanny Jardine, yeah? Yeah. You know who she grew up to be? In Tarantino verse. Um, I did? She does look familiar. She is, she is the hippie that sells. Uh, Brad Pitt, the acid-dipped cigarette from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, right, wow. I was like, I was like, so I literally, afterwards, after I finished watching it, I literally, I mean, she's only in it for a, a few seconds, 
where she sells him the cigarette and I'm like, ah, this is so cool. That after all those years, ah, it's like, wow. Ah. Uh, He's all in the family, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's nice to know that he they actually actually brings her back, even though it's not it's, it's just a it's just like an extra part where she just goes yeah. up to the car, and uh, yeah. I, well, I get the sense that he is a quite a I don't know like a jovial sort of guy that's easy to get on with. So I, I've never heard anyone say. I mean, I think the only thing I've heard is the controversy with with this actually, isn't it, where he wouldn't use a stunt driver, but MJ Thurman really hurt herself. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think they talk anymore. Do they? they won't for a think. period not talk. I don't know. This, oh, they made up a bit. I think. Don't quote me on that though. Yeah. But it, I'd like to see them work together again. The, the, she she does yeah. this dialogue uh, absolutely brilliantly, and uh, I mean. As 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 you know, obviously listeners, because you're listening to us talk about it, you're obviously next level film fanatics, and you know Tarantino, someone you'd I'd love to sit down with and just watch films with, just see yeah. what he's you know, it's like uh, what we do after when we're not doing in different houses, we'll literally watch, uh we'll pick a film each of you what we want the other to to enjoy. And we'll do it like that. So he's that's the sort of thing that I think it'd be so cool to do. Uh, you know, it'd be nice to actually have a list of films of Tarantino. You know, even a, yeah. a channel or or once a week if they if someone could pick it if he if so if if they had something that would actually show a Tarantino film that he would recommend that would be just it education. It is. Yeah, and I just think he. Oh, exactly. Pardon? Whenever he's on set, you know, whenever he's on set, people just. He's just like a, a kid with so much energy like and knowledge about what he's talking about. Like you if he's setting up a shot, he'll say, Oh, it's like from this this one from nineteen seventy, whatever, you know, like and it, it is the sort of thing that, you know, we would be like on a film set for Yeah. Or any film fanatic. I'd be literally writing you know, it'd be the sort of thing writing notes in you know, about what films you should be educated in and that's that's the thing, yeah. is education outside of the mainstream cinema and it, it's yeah. nice to discover if you like a film and it's been inspired by something it's, it's good to discover film for i mean like with with star wars uh this is my one per podcast how uh if you if you're the next level of fan you'll go out and you'll watch american graffiti and you'll watch thx 1138 and yeah, and as with Tarantino, you'll want in it. You want to. I remember after Jackie Brown, I watched Foxy Brown and Coffee because they're the only any Tangrio films I could get a hold of. And it's good yeah, to yeah. you know know what inspired your heroes. Is and I do like um Wushu films, so it's kind of cool. That's one thing I need to watch more of. So. Uh, you know, martial arts, Chinese martial arts, uh, Asian martial arts. Oh, films. yeah. Another person I've got from is um, Sonny Chiba, who plays um, Hattori Hanzo. Oh, he's brilliant. Yeah, I, I love him in that. It was um, that, that other guy that's in the shop with him. Yeah. It's <laughs> sort of like shit. Yeah, you still get the Saki. Saki. Yeah. If I, if I were in the <laughs> army and I was the emperor, you'd be the general and you'd still be the one with just the Saki. That's what I. Yeah. yeah. I need to try. I really s- like that scene, the way they film it when she comes up to look at all the swords. Yeah. 
and and you know the scene where he makes the sword and he said like oh, I've made a promise years ago to God that I wouldn't make something that kills people but I've just broken it. Uh, I think that's such a great scene. That's brilliant. But he is like a he really must uh, feel really pissed him off to actually think to break a, uh, a twenty eight year vow. Yeah. So it's yeah. Although talking talking of good dialogue as well, in volume two has one of my favourite sort of you know those like Tarantino conversations or monologues where they talk for ages about a certain thing when he talks about Superman and Clark Kent. Yeah. And it's something I've actually used in in debates with people like um to do with superheroes to explain who they are and I always think, Wow, who who wrote that just as a, as a monologue yeah. and I'm using it as an argument. But it's true. It is completely yeah. true. And, you know, you wouldn't really think, because Tarantino's never done a superhero movie, that, you know, a comic book superhero movie, that you'd think that that dialogue coming out of a character that he wrote, it is so true and it does sum up Superman so perfectly. It's great. I love the fact that all his sort of. Like we said before, loads of times, the speech is normalised. It's like how normal people speak. Like even even in Pulp Fiction, when they're talking about the Royale with cheese, like before that, gangsters only talked about gangster things. Cops only talked about cop things, you know. And you think, oh, still, whether they're bad, whether they're good, whatever, they're still human beings. So they still talk about inane shite that you talk about every day, you know. Like, oh, you can get a. It's not called a quarter pounder in France, you know, like. And it's it they do that in this in this one as well where they sort of like the Superman thing and and then in uh, Reservoir Dogs they talk about funnily enough they talk about something hang reels and yeah that's something real people do that you you do say oh wasn't that the thing so and so was in yeah and you got of course got the uh, the True Blue lack of virgin speech at the start of Mr Brown yeah now do you think you know in the the Halloween two thousand and eighteen where you've got two cops in the car discussing uh, sandwiches. Yeah. As well. Me. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. Do you think that was inspired by... It very well could have been. I mean, it, it was also written, directed by David Gordon Green, and he does stuff like that in his comedies. So I think that was sort of like that and the little black kid when he's talking about the, the weed. Yeah. Um, I think those are the sort of... I mean, he may very well be a Tarantino fan, but a lot of his dialogue is sort of similar to that. But it's nice to see, even in something as stylized as a horror film, a slasher, just two cops sitting in the car talking about what, what their wives made them for lunch or what they made. Because that's what normal people do, yeah. isn't it? You know, I mean, I'll be honest, in, in the paid job, uh, what gets me through the day is uh, I'm thinking about the podcast and I'm thinking yeah. about movies. And I literally, I use the paid job that I'm talking to people most of the time to uh, spit more ideas. I'm actually, I'm actively saying, telling people that now. The reason I talk about films so much is because I'm spitballing ideas and I'm just getting other people's opinions. A thing about this, if you ever want to, if, as, as film fanatics, if you ever want to find out what, quote, normal people think, ask normal people. They're not on yeah. your level because you will actually find you know, they might have different things. You might be able to steal things. Yeah. It's always good to have. I We did it when uh, when we were doing the... A little bit of plug. Uh, when we were doing the uh, commentary track for Nightmare 4, I got 
So I asked my fiance, who'd never seen them before, I was asking her opinions of every, when we sat down and watched all the nightmares, I was asking her opinion, and I ask her opinion a lot, because she's she's educated in cinema, but, and she's learning all the time, but to get an alternative opinion that's not studied the subject, it's just brilliant, because I actually stole a lot of stuff from her. Yeah. But I do... Well, I mean, it's inspiration comes from everywhere, yeah. you know, or it should be. Definitely. I'm sorry, some of the audio a bit, a bit dodgy on this, so... Uh, yeah, so uh, going back to... Uh, going back to Kill Bill. You know what? I, I, I actually made some notes on this. You know, uh, I think you can classify Reservoir Dogs to Jackie Brown. Then you've got... This is what gets me... I think you have to go Kill Bill and Grindhouse, because they're very similar. Yeah. Then you've got the revisionist right. Hollywood with Django to Hulk to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So you've got three to four distinct, three, three distinct era periods of Tarantino. Yeah, it's kind of like the first three are like hyper-realistic. The next few are more fantastical, you know, you've got Kill Bill and like the Grindhouse is supposed to be like an old sense movie. And I sort of think in Glorious Bastards is conflicty as well in the way it sort of the dialogue is and that. And then you've got the historical period with like Django and Hateful Eight and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It is strange, yeah. I mean, like, what's the last film going to be or whatever number it is? That's what everyone's waiting for, isn't it? Yeah, I just really wait. I'm just hoping that we just go, we did, we, you know, like they did in Doctor Who. They just alter the heels of the timeline and say, yeah, I was only joking, I'm going to do it number 10. Because yeah. he, as a director, I mean, he's a great writer, but as a director, he's superb. The fact that he didn't, there's so much quotable stuff in all in all his movies. I mean, uh, even something like when you watch uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you may not think that it's that quotable. But uh, after after watching it, I'm Rick. Who you? I'm you're Rick fucking Dalton. And that yeah is asphalt. But do you, you know, and the fact that you, you know, another little thing I don't know is you, you've still got the red apple in the background in the, in the uh, poster, his uh, brand of cigarettes. Yeah, it's in all of them, isn't it? Yeah. I think, I imagine it. Oh, no, no. Oh, another little, a little thing that I noticed. Uh, you know the guy who plays uh, the groom, Tommy Plimpton? Yeah. You know what he's really more known for? He's a makeup. No, I've not seen it. I don't think I've seen him. Or unless I have, I don't know. Yeah, he's a makeup artist. All right. He's worked on the likes of Guardian Two, Halloween, two thousand and eighteen, Infinity War, and King Dead and Game Deadpool. So he's a successful. Wow. I think he's got he's got some awards, but I couldn't pull them up. So I was like, wow, that was the kind of yeah. But. Uh, we haven't discussed. Uh, what did you think about having Michael Madsen back then? Oh, I love Michael Madsen in this. I, 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 I think he's sort of not been in the last few very much, has he? Like, no. I mean, obviously, yes, he's not in the one. But he's only in like a cameo in Hollywood, wasn't he? Yeah. He's he's in Hateful Eight. He's cowpuncher Joe, isn't he? Yeah. Joe Cage. Yeah, no, I I love Michael Madsen in in Tarantino films. I love him. I mean, I think he's. He's always Mr. Blonde to me. Yeah, definitely. He is... But he's, he's good as Bud as well, actually. Yeah. 
I like the way he tells his brother that he sold the he pawned the sword, and yeah. he still got it. And I was like, wow, that's just to I my like brother. But when he's talking to Bill, and it's from like the sort of trailer at the end of Volume One where yeah. he says, uh, "This woman deserves her revenge, and we deserve to die." I like the fact that he sort of he knows they've done wrong, but he's still a bad guy, so he's still got to go. And the way that he maces, he's got the mace in one hand and the flashlight in the other, says, you keep going, you're going on the ground, you're going to go on the ground blind, or you're going to go and run with flashlight. Yeah. And that is just, that is so claustrophobic. Yeah, I hate that scene. Like, I mean, I like it. it it's cool with the, the sort of Morricone-style music and yeah. that, but yeah, I, I don't like things to do with being buried alive. And there's the sound when they're drilling the nails into the coffin, into the, yeah, into yeah. the coffin. And, and the mud hitting the top of it. Yeah. And the, where you find out about the, you know, the whole thing with Pai Mei. And that's yeah. He, he, how he hates women, he hates loads of things. So she's, yeah. Yeah. And you find out he ripped out Ellie Driver's eye. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is gross in itself. That really got that me. Is, yeah. Do you know the um, the little sort of Easter egg about Paula Schultz, though, the, the name no. down in the grave? No, I don't know that one, but, was that? No, you know how they say, um, look for the grave with Paula Schultz on it? Yeah. Well, apparently Tarantino's confirmed that she's a relative of King Schultz from uh, Django. Oh. So I, I, it raises questions as well, how they know who it is. So it's it's all in the all same sort universe. Sort of connect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I, I really like, you know, and the fact that even in Hateful Eight you find out that... Um, is it Tim Roth's character is related to Michael Fassbender's character, isn't it? Um, he's called Hiccox, isn't he? I did not know that. Nice. So he's like a great grandfather of um, Michael Fassbender's character from Enjoy Custard. Oh, nice. I, I, I love stuff like that. I think that's because it, it's not it's the date, it's there. Like if, if, if you were to watch them all back to back, you'd be like, oh, on Hiccox, wasn't I mentioned before? Yeah. It wouldn't be like a like alarm bell this is the guy who's related to this guy but it's done so so subtly it's like uh, in true romance uh they make alabama yeah so it's it, you know are they the same characters or it's, it, it's yeah ah oh. it's something i think mainstream franchises can't do right you know even something like star wars they make the galaxy feel smaller because everyone's related in a way. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's why I think the Mandalorian is, is a lot better because there's no real characters. I mean, up to now, there's, yeah. there's no real characters where you're like, oh, they're from the original trilogy. So there's no sort of baggage. And Tarantino does that all the time. You know, each, each characters are a set of new characters. And they may be like, if you listen to the names and stuff and, and the information that they talk about, you might be able to pick something up. But it's not in your face no you can go into it as a standalone movie and you don't have to look out for yeah easter eggs or how does this relate to this and you know i i always and one of the things and i suppose this goes back to where i was when i started watching tarantino films you don't go to just to watch a tarantino film you go to watch an education in cinema yeah and and and, and that, that's what I love. I mean, I, I really don't want to go on too much about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I could talk about that all day and that's for another time. But, uh, yeah. Uh, but 
I got it. I it was. I was so surprised by how much I really enjoyed this movie. After all the yeah, years. Yeah, it's like I say, I went through a phase of absolutely loving it and not really liking it that much, and then rediscovering it again. Sort of. I think the first time I sort of rediscovered it was well, one of my friends from school. She absolutely adores Tarantino, and she said, "Oh, you need to watch them back to back because they are better as one film." And I was like, "Well." Uh, does it make a difference? And then I watched them and I thought, wow, it's a, it's a totally different experience. It's like, I know you don't like them, but if you watch all the Matrix films back to back, there's so much more, they make so much more sense. And it, it is weird when you, like, you think something like that wouldn't make a difference to how a film's watched, but it really does. I might eventually, after Matrix 4 comes out, I might, I might give it. Yeah, you're not a fan of Matrix, are you? Is that your end or was that mine? That's no idea. Yeah. No, I'm not. It's it's it's. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave the Matrix bashing for another time, or whatever. Because I, it's, it's, <laughs> I like how I like Keanu Reeves as a person. Yeah. But I just I don't. Uh, but film wise, I like him in Bill and Ted, and 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 that's really it. But I but I will give the Matrix a shot, no doubt. But. Uh, you know what? You know Robert Rodriguez scored Volume Two. Yeah, and RZA as well. Yeah, he did the both rap of them. band. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, this was the uh, the dollar bet they had. Did you, did you know about this? Yeah. How uh, yeah. he gave a dollar to score Volume Kill Two, him. whereas and Tarantino got a dollar for filming a scene in Sin City, Sin City. which is the scene you know, with Dwight. Yeah, the scene with Dwight. With a gun in his head. Yeah. All right. <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I only, the thing is, I only re, I, I, I hadn't watched Sin City in a long while, but I watched it I a few months ago with, with the boss. And, yeah. uh, you know, because it was like, we were trying to build up a, a collection of comic book movies. And they said, you've got to watch, uh, oh, you've got to watch Sin City. That's gruesome, but it's, you know, it's like as very soon. I'm I'm looking forward to when we do uh, when we do uh, Dust for Dawn, which they should release a good Blu-ray on that, which brings us back to Earl McGraw, and uh, yeah. it, it, it's just which I think is brilliant how you get introduced to Earl McGraw in Dust for Dawn, and, and you have him in uh, in Kill Bill and Son Number One. You don't even give his son a name; he's just Son Number One. <laughs> yeah, and I just that's just that's his real son, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and I just like the way he calls him son number one. I thought, I'm like, ah, this is brilliant because it's like uh, if you read the script to uh, Desperado, it's Buscemi's character is just Buscemi. If you can't think of a name, you just call who you know is going to oh, play really? him. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I do like that scene because he is actually Al McGraw, isn't he? With yeah. The character, but like, yeah. he's the same guy. Yes. And then it, it sort of comes full circle even more on Planet Terror, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, where you find out his daughters, and it's I'm, just I love that sort of camaraderie they both have together, him and Rodriguez. It's like they're sort of kindred spirits. And yeah. I would love to see a film they both directed together. Oh, that'd be good, you know, what in one film by both of them, other than Planet Terror and Death Fruit, which yeah. they do individually. But it's, I mean, they are, like I said, that the you know, those two together is, is part of. I was getting into Rodriguez and Tarantino at the same time, so it's kind of 
Tarantino a bit earlier, by a few years, but uh, Rodriguez, because of uh, the book uh, Rebel Without a Crew, which is, in my opinion, the best book on filmmaking, it's sort of like I, I connect the two. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah. And he, you know, cause you got uh, the ending of Volume One. The music is uh, Shimon, if I'm right. Is Lan? Yeah, yeah, sorry. So, uh, so, so, and it's also if I'm right, uh, the same music they similar the same song they actually use at the start of Once Upon a Time in, and the uh, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, same song, different oh, version, I think. I think. So you've not seen Once Upon a Time in Mexico? No, I haven't. I haven't seen that either. But you watched El Mariachi a few weeks ago. Yeah, we did watch it, didn't we? Yeah, well, we're, we're going to have to sort out that one from the time in Mexico, which I think is a great film. I love that bit of music actually on about the bit at the end of the first one where he says about a daughter in there. Yeah. Yeah, it's it sounds, sounds really sort of Morritonian, doesn't yeah. it? Like Westernish. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like Rodriguez scores a lot of his films just like Carpenter does. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You know what? It, it, I, films like, uh, if you, you know, if you're new to the High Ground podcast and you're just watching, sorry, listening, because you like Quentin Tarantino or you like Kill Bill, check out some of our commentaries, which I think the the Kill Bills would be absolutely perfect for after we've yeah. gone through all of his movies and all of that. So, uh, where we can actually point out a lot of this stuff. So, so uh, where would you actually, you know, where would you actually rate now if you, uh, the Kill Bill films? In relation to his other work, um, I think they're sort of like the middle ones. Like they're the sort of the years where he passes from comic books into, you know, after Inglorious, but back into sort of like the historical stuff with Django. I think, yeah, I, I think they're like the middling ones. Like they're, they're I mean, they're not, I appreciate them much more for what they are now because I sort of educate myself on Tarantino in general. But, yeah, I mean, I always remember them being enjoyable when I first saw them because of the action and the dialogue. And it was always an event to see a Tarantino film anyway. So, yeah, I place them in the middle. I think that the, I think probably my least favourite Jack, uh, Jack, my least favourite Tarantino film is probably Death. But it's not in a disparaging sense. It's just if I had to choose one that I find the least favourite. But, um, no, Kilbert, I'd say, is in the middle. I, for me, this Kill Bill is, is lower for me as uh, and this the, the Death Flute though. I think you know, the two that I least watch would be Inglorious Bastards and uh, Death Proof. Yeah, but it's it, yeah, I think that in terms of runtime, they're easier to watch than sometimes than something like Django Unchained and Hateful Eight. But yeah. I put Hateful Eight as a piece of work to be really high up there. But you comparing them to the classic three of Jackie Brown, Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, I mean, it's, it's the dialogue in those three, especially yeah. Pulp Fiction. 
so it's I'd probably I would put it towards the I put them towards the end, but it, it, it's it's really it's really it's really hard for me. It is, yeah. Because I mean, like I said, I I went for years with Jackie Brown being my favorite of his work, but now it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then the more you watch Hateful Eight, the more you appreciate it, and if you go back to watching Django Unchained again, it's there's he's yet to direct a bad film. And that's yeah, always, I agree with that. and you'll always find you can go from one day going, well, I, I prefer this, I prefer Kill Bill Two to Kill Bill One, or I I really like this in Death Proof, or Inglorious Bastards is good because of this. There's there's no it's 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 a hard one. Yeah, I mean I found it even though it was one of my favorites, I found when we did the Jackie Brown retrospective that to be quite hard because it's it was just kissing his ass. Yeah, it was. But like I said, I'm gonna put it lower, uh, in my opinion. I mean, yeah, I mean they're all they're all good, aren't they? Yeah. They're all like singular. There's no like there's no one where you can like I'm get bored here. Yeah. As you might do with some other directors' films that aren't so good. I mean, uh, but, I sat through. I went to cinema to see uh, Sharp Boy and Laugh Girl. <laughs> Yeah, that was terrible, wasn't it? That was terrible, and I was like, oh, it's not going to be that bad, it's not going to be that bad. Oh, it's bad. But having said that, something like Spike Kids 3D was good, I enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, uh, Kevin Smith made films which are, yeah, are subpar. So, but Tarantino has yet to make a film that that I said, like, ah, yeah, I don't want to see that film because it's this Tarantino's, all of his, like, they're events. Yeah. They're masterpieces. So, uh, I think we've wrapped this up. I think so, yeah. So, uh, so, say again? I think we've killed Bill. Yeah. Oh, the ending is good, though. I've got to go with that. That's a great ending. And the way you go through all the characters is good, but yeah. yeah. So, this has been Kill Bill. I've been Stevie W. Yeah. And Callum. See you soon. <laughs>